This week, Joker, Irishman, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. What do these movies have in common? Well, they've all made either myself, Jim, or Teal's top 10 for 2019. Yes, this is the top 10 edition of Stuff We've Seen, and we're going to get into it. But, uh, you know, as you know, if you've listened to this program before, Teal and I don't quite live in the major markets <laughs> for films. Yeah, see, laugh away. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's not easy to get out to see some of these films. The Academy keeps making uh, it challenging for us because they reduced their time frame and so the yeah. season is shorter and you know we've lamented how it used to be that you could go like almost into march and still catch yeah. up on some of these year-end movies uh so it's been a challenge because some of these films have already left the theaters yep. and we couldn't get to them but yet they're not out uh streaming or on Redbox. right and, and you know in the and the services they do this thing now where some of these movies are available for a few weeks if you want to buy them. <laughs> right. Yeah, I saw that actually on Amazon. You could buy, uh, you know, a few weeks before it's available for rental, you can buy it. Yeah, and I'm not, and I'm not. you know what, if I'm going to spend that kind of money, I got to be honest, I want to go see it in the theater. I well, don't really, absolutely. You know. So let me ask you, what's on your list of things you haven't seen yet? Okay, so we will get to the top 10 in a minute, but, you know, luckily, Teal and I have been busy. We've been trying yeah. to uh, search out some of these films that I may have, it may, I've made have gone to more extremes than you. you you went to an extreme i think i went yeah. to two extremes you don't even realize I, in the last week i saw two movies um i'm not telling you right now if they made okay. my list or not but i went to see two films that were on my list of really wanted to see and i had to go 45 minutes for one of them uh each way and yeah. i had to go an hour each way for the other <laughs> oh man okay but you know what there was, yep. there's pleasures to be had there because I got to visit some town theaters. Well, yeah, you showed me some pictures of that cool little theater with the uh, Star Wars theme. That that looked really fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I really want to get into the film itself, but you know, Jojo <laughs> Rab Jojo Rabbit, we both really had wanted to see. Yeah, because you know it got nominated, and as you pointed out, I myself, I'm an Oscar completionist. <laughs> you are, you are an Oscar completionist. I like to see every movie nominated, and if I can, I'd like to see them before the. Oscars, and I'm not talking every single film that's that made it got a nomination, but the main ones, the, the big main ones, ones like yeah. picture and director. Uh, and then, if I can, like I said, I saw Judy just because I wanted to see right. one of the female performances of the year. I, I do make this effort, and I've been doing that. I mean, when it comes to movies nominated for, say, Best Picture, yeah, with the exception of I think one or two movies in the early '60s, and I think The Sundowners is one, and <laughs> okay. uh, and uh, America, America is the other, which I've seen okay. parts of. Right, I've seen every single movie nominated for Best Picture. You are a completionist. Yeah. And I've seen most of the ones in the 50s and a good portion of the 40s. You know, I mean, I've seen almost every movie ever nominated by the Academy. And I tell you what, if you're a younger listener out there and you found this podcast uh, helpful and useful in your cinema experience, <laughs> there's, there's a great, it's a great resource, right? Even though we don't always agree with the Academy and I don't always like their picks uh, for best picture, the ones that they actually choose. Right. If you want to get a little bit of film history going and just understand what movies were even kind of like the thing back right. in a particular year, I would go through those p best picture nominees and see them if you haven't. Yeah. And they may not be the best. I haven't seen any of them. 
Oh, that's a lie, and you know it. You, well, you know what? Okay, so this is how but it started. But I'm not a completion. I'm not an Oscar completionist. When I was in, when I was a young young fellow, <laughs> I was very into the movies. I got this book on the Academy Awards, and it was I got the book in like a 1982 or th- it was like an 82 book, but I got it in okay. the beginning of '83, and I thought it. I you know flipped through it in the bookstore, and I saw all of these films that I had known, most of them from the 70s. Right. And I was shocked that they had been nominated for Best Picture. Oh, okay. And that hooked me because I didn't know. These were movies that my parents enjoyed. We watched like when they'd come on network TV. But I didn't know that they were nominated. For instance, I had no idea that The Exorcist had been nominated for Best Picture. Right. I had no idea that American Graffiti had been nominated for Best (laughs) Picture. I didn't even know what the winners are. This movie that I had been seeing, when I'd go look for records, I'd see this thing pop out all the time. It was uh, the soundtrack for this weird, like, graphics on it, uh, Clockwork Orange. Oh, yeah, yeah. I had no idea what the movie was. I just remembered the cover, which was the poster. Yeah. And I was shocked that it was nominated for Best Picture, and that instantly intrigued me. Okay. So I went on a mission. I said, well, you know what? This is a great way, you know, because when you were like a kid and there was no like even knowledge of film schools back then. Right, right. I said, well, how am I going to get an education? This could be a great entry to that. Yeah. So, and one, one thing that's like, you know, people don't even go and watch movies from the 30s or 40s. Those movies used to show up on late night TV. Right, right. Yeah, that makes sense. Of course, again, I have to talk about people who really may not know what this experience was like was that on Sundays you got a paper and there was a TV guide in there. Yeah, absolutely. And you would go through and see if any of those movies were playing that week. I starred them all and then I would record them on the VCR. <laughs> yes. Well, and did you have a video store at this point? We had, uh, well, not when I first got the book, but you know, right. within that year, that was like you know the, the plan when I could start taping these things. Um, and of course, the video stores weren't very big. And as we've talked right. about where it was like a big shelf, that the store that you bought the VCR had a shelf. They were starting up right around that. Around. They were, and then like in 84, 84 I guess, because as I'd had a VCR by then, a new video store opened up that had a lot more titles. And they had the films like Absolutely. Clockwork Orange. Yeah. Warner Brothers was really big into VHS back then. Oh, so interesting. So a lot of their titles were available, like Exorcist and, right, right. and Clockwork Orange. And so I would rent these movies uh, because they were available and my mom, you know, let me. Yeah. <laughs> well, and definitely those Best Picture nominees are more likely to be on video or early on. Well, right, the, right. They were the classics, right? Yeah. So, you know, okay. So getting back. So this Jojo Rabbit, I really, really wanted to see it. And uh, I kind of needed to get out of the house this week for <laughs> various reasons. It was just, you know, it was a lot of chaos going on. And, and, and I also felt like with all the chaos going on, I wouldn't be missed. Right. <laughs> so it was an opportunity for me to go out and try to see Jojo Rabbit before we would have these podcast because I thought, well, you know, it got nominated for Best Picture. It's yeah. the last one on my list. And I'll go check it out. And so this was the one that took an hour to get to. Right. Okay. And I get there. It's a very small town, Springfield, Vermont. I've never been there before. It was way out of the way. It's like near Okemo Mountain, which is a big ski area resort. Okay. It's this cute little theater from the outside. And I'm I'm, you know, I'm kind of used to these small town theaters. Yeah, I know yeah. that, you know, it's a real, what you're going to get, you're just thankful that you have a theater in your town, Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I get in there and not only is it really nice and clean look renovated the people that were running this theater the springfield three that's the name of the theater okay they are like film tech geeks 
Oh. And they're huge Star Wars nuts. <laughs> and top to bottom, the entire theater, and I'm talking like the lobby and the hallways, it's all decked out in Star Wars regalia. That's awesome. They had they had a whole big area set up with a diorama that somebody had all their Star Wars action figures, and they had created an elaborate scene. Oh, wow. And then they had a full-sized, you know, six-foot Boba Fett <laughs> costume, and like, you know, a Jawa and an R2-D2, and a whole bunch of other things. Like, they had this, like, robot, I think it was from uh, Rogue One. Okay. The big robot there. Yeah, yeah. This thing's like 10 foot tall. We had one there. <laughs> I mean, this is like, I was just, blown. I mean, this is not what I was expecting. Yeah. So already I'm in a giddy mood because the level of appreciation that these people put right. in, they had their walls covered with empire propaganda uh, posters. <laughs> and then also they had Jedi, you know, propaganda posters. Right. And then the music they were playing in the lobby was uh, <laughs> Star Wars themed. And I didn't even catch this until I was on the way out of the theater. I walk out of the theater and I look up and they were projecting on one of the corners of their wall the Star Wars scroll from Force Awakens. <laughs> it was insane. It made you feel so awesome. That's so cool. The end of the hallway Right? They had a theater entrance that was done up to be look like the entrance to Jurassic Park. Wow. <laughs> I don't think I posted that picture. No, um, I didn't see that. Yeah. I, I just couldn't believe it. And then, uh, and then the theater itself is very tiny. At least this one was. I don't yeah. think they're all very big. But they big. have three screens. They had three screens. And this one only had, I counted. It was so easy to count. There was 38 seats. Wow. But okay. yet there was a yeah. very decent sized screen for the small auditorium. Well, that's very, were there other people in the theater with you? Yeah, there was about 10 of us. Oh, that's, that's which, pretty good. Which felt like it was a third full, right? Yeah. <laughs> so here's the thing, though. They, they, and they, they, I'm watching the little uh, the little pre-show that they have. Right. And then they, they, they actually did their own trailer oh, for, cool. for the theater. Right. And the theater, they like, you know, like they, they, they ripped off some Star Wars bits and they had a couple <laughs> of, they go like, you know, if you need assistance, uh, some of our uh, staff will be there to help you. And they had like someone like dressed in a Darth Vader costume <laughs> and like a thing going, going, shut that phone off. <laughs> and it was just, it was so great. But the theater, it, it employs a 4K projector. Nice. And 7.1 surround. What? Yeah, this, so this, this is a tiny little theater in the middle of nowhere, Vermont, and this, it's already a better projection than I get in most of the, the screens that I would go to. So I'm like blown away that this thing exists. And I was just, I was already in such a great mood that these people, I was like worth, the, it was worth the drive. Yeah. I, would never have, I would never have gone. So that's why making the effort sometimes is cool. I suspect this will not be your last trip to that theater. Well, you know what it's good is that when I'm looking for one of these uh, films that the flagship will yeah. not show, I will check there. Exactly. Now that now that you know. Well, yeah, now it's worth going. I mean, I just yeah. was again, I was just floored by the that's just so the, cool. the love of movies. And that's again, why why we just spent 11 minutes here talking about this <laughs> right. before we even get into our show. Uh, but so I so I made the effort for for that film and another film that we'll, we'll, I may, may mention. Right. But you did get to see 1917, I believe. I did. Yes. Oh, so uh, so what were your impressions there? I battled with my expectations a little bit on this while watching it. I guess I was expecting something very gritty and realistic, and it's not realistic at all, I found anyway. The experience of watching it, I just kept thinking, it doesn't feel like it's taking place in real time. 
even though it's all in one shot, but the density of actions and movement from one place to the next happens so quickly that it feels like it's like all compacted into this. But because it's happening in one shot, it feels sort of, you know, if there were time cuts, there's one time cut in the movie. But if there were more time cuts, it would make sense that that all these events were happening. But to have them all in one shot in ostensibly real time, it just started to feel false to me. I'm glad you said that because I think you just summed it up in a way that it, I think I was thinking in my brain, but, but it's exactly your point. This is mostly unfolding in a real-time scenario, and yeah. yet it doesn't feel like it. And I think that the way that they chose to shoot this film is the reason. <laughs> I think so, too. And so as a result, it ended up feeling very artificial and kind of practiced to me. Obviously, a lot of it was rehearsed, right? Well, it's it's super rehearsed and it's super choreographed, but it's choreographed to the point where it starts to feel like there aren't any surprises in it. Yeah. And it's just going through the motions. And then, you know, for me, like the jump the shark moment was the waterfall bit. And it's like, really, you're going to there's going to be a waterfall in this movie, too. Like it is a jump the shark moment. And yet it is. It is visually. It's amazing. Visually, it's totally amazing. And, and that happened to me throughout the movie where I thought, wow, this is really cool. This is a great level of technical achievement. This is really well put together and choreographed and the photography, you know, that happened to me throughout it. But I wasn't engaged. I mean, part of the reason I wasn't that engaged was the two leads are pretty bland. Luckily, um can I spoil the movie? Um, no. Okay. Well, just because a lot of people, I, you have to be very careful how you spoil. I think there's ways that you can talk about this film without. I felt like where they went with the character story was really corny, actually. I felt like the end was, hor- the the very end was just horribly corny. And, and it fed into this whole thing of it all feeling very written to me and not realistic. And so then I started thinking, okay, it's got all these actions, like all these set pieces compressed into this very short real-time thing. So if it's not trying to be realistic, what is it trying to do? And so I, I sort of decided, okay, maybe it's trying to be just an experience and sort of putting all these things on us. But as an experience, I didn't find it particularly affecting. Didn't have a, I wasn't emotionally pulled into it. I wasn't on the edge of my seat. I, I wasn't tense during it. There were many times when I was like, wow, they did that with an airplane? Cool. Yeah, I mean, just because something is like, you know, technically cool, and I guess a lot of people are, seem to be, or at least people that count as far as awards ago, think that yeah. that's that this is like this groundbreaking thing. And I'm glad, I guess, that they had that experience. But I mean, right. our, our job is to go a little deeper. And I'm just being real. I, I, I mean, I went in, and I'm not saying I over, you know, but every year when a movie like this starts to win all the awards, you can't help right. but get a little bit jazzed. Yeah. And then, you know, and I love war movies, so I thought I was going to be too. in. And I was like a surprised by my own reaction at the end where I was like, well, I mean, you know, I can't say it's a bad movie, but I mean, it. I just wasn't emotionally involved, like you said. Yeah. The characters, I mean, I thought they, they acted well, but, you know, for me, there's a certain, uh, there's a, a character in the film that doesn't make it and when they and the problem is is that I feel like that they're gone too soon they're gone too soon but also <laughs> and I but so let's talk but that scene without talking about it here's my question to you and that's why I'm interrupting you is, yeah. that, is that you play a lot of uh, 
video games. Yes. And I don't, but I, but I, but my kids do, and I've watched enough of these. Yeah. And my feeling, and this has been one of these things where the defenders of this movie get very hostile on social yes. media and angry at anybody that suggests that this movie feel, felt like a game. Well, I, to me, it did. And I felt that where it felt like a game, other than the way the motions go of when you're in a first-person right. game and that there aren't really cuts, well, when there are cuts in those games, there are these things called the cut scene. Yes. And it's the scene where you have to sit through while it's loading up the next stuff. And it's kind of like that middle point where, ah, we're stopping here and something's going to happen. And now the cut screen gives you this little yes. exposition and story. And to me, the whole thing with the with the biplane and and all that, that whole scene, it felt like a, oh, the whole thing right out of a cut screen. And I don't know. Can you, do you agree? So it's interesting. I, I not that long ago was playing a game called God of War that came out about, uh, I think about within the last two years. The game is, uh, <laughs> it's unlike other video games because it's all in one shot. Ah. And so when it goes into a cutscene, you know, you're sort of over the character's shoulder. It's that third person kind of look that you see in most video games. But when it when a cutscene happens, there's no cuts. Uh, the camera just pulls back. It pans onto different people. It moves around. So, so basically the same thing that's happening in this film. And so I was thinking about that game a lot while I was watching this. And it, yes, it's all these set pieces just feel like uh, scenes out of a video game to me partially because they're so dense but what's different with a video game is the pacing is really different there's a lot of walking between these cutscenes or between these set pieces and it's not just one piled right on top of the other so all the events that took place in this movie in a video game that might be 10 or 12 hours long so it's a different type of pacing but in terms of just the aesthetic of it yeah it feels like a video game it feels like oh now we're going to creep across the ledge now we're going to go through a tunnel now we're going to cross the river now we're going to avoid the plane exactly and here's here's a made this is actually a to me this is a flaw that they broke their own rule and i yes. think it really hurts the film and here's here's why is that Sure, it's one shot, except for that it's used all these state-of-the-art effects and right. movements and stuff. And, you know, sometimes you're looking for that, sometimes you're not. But I, I myself was never not aware that we were in a one-shot one movie. That doesn't necessarily bother me. However, what, it, what I would like about that is that, oh, they're against the clock, and now you get yeah. to see what is this journey from the start to the end. But there's a mistake, and that mistake comes where there is, it's actually kind of confusing because I know my son was confused and I kind uh -huh. of said, well, again, I guess what was happens. It looks like he might've got shot, but it was maybe he got hit in the helmet. Right. And he gets knocked out for a, an undetermined amount of time. Several hours at least because of the- And so, so now what happens because of that, the suspense of yes. getting there against a certain time frame is gone because you were cheated because you probably weren't thinking what time it was when they left, but that they had to get there. And you really weren't thinking too much of like, well, they have plenty of time. And if this is all in real time, like what's going to happen? This right. happens and it really ruins the illusion that they were going for. Yeah, I totally agree with that cut. So then the film is in two sections, which both take place in real time. And so that's about an hour per section. And so they're telling us that this entire trip took this guy two hours. Yeah. Which is just ridiculous. It's it's not taking place in real time. And that just feels so artificial to me. And 
I will go out on a limb now and say that I think this is a bad movie. I think this is not going to hold up over time. I don't. Th- I mean, I, I will not say it's a bad movie. I've only seen it once, and maybe would I like it again more the next time or worse? But I think what you're saying is true. I don't think this holds up, and partly because the story itself isn't strong enough. So all you exactly. have left is this experiment that they did. And it's a cool, I mean, I, I technically. Oh, it's cool. It's cool. It's, it's cool. definitely cool. But but that's not enough for me. You know what else I didn't like? And I felt it broke up a lot of this. Like, again, when we we're talking about Race Against the Clock, it yeah. felt like they were killing for time. And yes. I really hated the moment. I mean, I hated, to me, this is the part where I really didn't like the movie, was when he went in and it's sort of like that buried rubble and he and he meets up with a woman and her child. I didn't like oh, that scene at all. Terrible. I know I think I I guess it was designed for the emotional payoff at the end maybe. Right, but that's one of those things where I was thinking, okay, if this had happened in reality, that would have been an hour that he spent with her. You're probably right. Yeah. Right? Or at least more than the like 5 minutes of screen time it takes up. And it's so condensed into that five minutes. So it's like all the meaningful dialogue goes into that five minutes and there's none of the reality of what that would play like in real time. And you know what? And see, this is the thing. When a movie is done conventionally with edits, those scenes don't bother you as much because you're you're used to the fact that, oh, this is a five minute scene that might have, like you just said, you make a leap that it was an hour. Exactly. When it only takes five minutes, that's when you start to say, well, that would never have happened in five minutes. Exactly. And so it, it strains my suspension of disbelief so much that I start kind of giving up on the movie. Did you ever see the movie Cold Mountain? Yes, yes. There's a scene, and there's a very similar movie in that Jude Law has to get back, right? right? And he has to go and he stops in, and he has these little adventure points. And there's a scene where he stops in at, she's a widow or whatever, and it's- um, Right, Natalie Portman. And that scene really kind of bothered me, but it reminded me a lot of the scene in this 1917 movie. Which reminded me a lot of the scene in Barry Lyndon, where he spends the evening with a woman and a child who's- father has gone off to war. Yeah. So this seems to be a trope. (laughs) Well, it is a trope, but that's again, what I felt like in this movie is in 1917 is it was just kind of one cliche after another. Right. And then uh, I cannot say enough how much I hated the ending. You know, there's this scene where he like runs through the battlefield. That was designed to be a cool shot. It was not necessary. It was not necessary. Yeah, it was completely ridiculous that he does that. So this movie is really, if you think about it, is super manipulative. I guess all yes. movies can be. But oh, well, uh, while we're on manipulative, I hated the music. Oh, well, that's probably, if it's not going to be Joker, that's going to be your best score winner, believe it or not. And it's probably yeah. because if there's, that, if there's that many people ticking the boxes for 1917, they're ticking the boxes for the yeah. music, which I couldn't remember the score afterwards. But There was nothing on its face wrong with the music it was how it was used uh, there were multiple times throughout the movie where i felt I, I was like what is going on with this why are they just blaring music right now are they are they just trying to like again killing time like we got a little space where he walks from a to b so let's just 
throw in some music. I did read an anonymous Academy member who was in the sound group, and they said that they did have an issue that they felt that the music blared out the sound design. Yes, that's exactly how I felt. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, again, it made the movie less realistic to me. Yeah. And, less atta- and, the, and the less attached to reality this movie is, the less engaged I was. Yeah, and it's funny, the last movie that had the one-take uh, device, Birdman, which is not yeah. one of my favorite movies, what I did like about that camera work is it had to do like it took a space this play and it had to move everywhere yes. and it, what what he had to do there which i don't think was done in this he had to create cuts meaning yes. that he had to go to close ups and medium shots and everything with the camera in a way that this this didn't do it, exactly it didn't do and this was going back to this god of war game there are times during the cut scenes where i'm just watching and then i go wait how did it get to this shot how how is it suddenly a close up on them and i you know because it's so sort of seamless but i think what you're saying is that in 1917, I would say 90% of this movie is a three-quarter, is, is like a uh, just a medium shot of two guys. Yeah, I mean, it was like very precise camera work to the level. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, this is going to win Roger Deakins, and I, and I love him. He's one of my favorites. It's going to win him an Oscar, but that's because people are lazy. Sure. Is it technically amazing from yeah. the cinematography and that night shot with the burnt out part of the city? That That's pretty fantastic. That's pretty good stuff, yeah. But you do come to expect this with Deacons, and if anybody could pull off the technical achievement, he yeah. could. And when it comes to cinematography, I'm, I'm, I'm giving him his due, but there is other films that I felt from an artistic standpoint, also did something pretty amazing. And just because it's a technical marvel, that's not everything. So, you know. Yeah, and that's really how I felt about this film. It's a technical marvel, but it fails on almost every other level for me. It's a weird thing to have a technical, and I guess I gave it a, a thumbs up for its technical achievements, and I wasn't bored, but I also felt that as a war movie, it's a failure because I yeah. really learned nothing about World War One, and it really didn't seem to be about the war. <laughs> That's the other problem with this movie is it's actually not about anything. It doesn't yeah. tell it doesn't tell us anything about war. It doesn't tell us. And about... I hate people who want to insist that it was something more and powerful and experience. And uh, there's this one critic out there, a blogger. Uh, Sasha Stone, and she runs a site called Awards Daily. And I've been following her lately, and she's she's definitely over the edge on these Oscars. And it's very interesting. Before 1917 won any kind of uh, awards, yeah, you couldn't you you wouldn't find any critic talking about this movie. Yeah, her included. She her favorite was like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But as soon as it started winning, these people jump on the bandwagon, and I think it's this weird oh. thing where this is their business, but they want to they want to feel like they're part of a win. And if this movie's right. going to win, they need to be invested in something other than the movie that they want to win that's not going to win. And, <laughs> and I just find that false. I'm not going to I'm not going to suddenly just, you know, go see this movie a bunch of times until I like it. It, it right. just didn't do it for me. And I'm not knocking if somebody really liked it. I'm not knocking that either. It just really didn't work for me. I think it was the last episode of the episode before I was talking about the uh, the new Rambo movie. Yeah. Now that movie's just bad, right? So like it's uh, <laughs> it it doesn't really uh, get any notice for me. Really, it's like oh yeah, that was bad. It was kind of ridiculous. It's kind of funny to talk about how racist it is. But 1917 to me is such an attempt at being good and an attempt at being great. Actually, 
that uh, I'm thinking about. Have you ever seen Hearts of Darkness, the documentary about uh, making Apocalypse Now? Oh, yeah, sure. Absolutely. It's great. Yeah. So at, at one point, Coppola defines pretension. He's like, I don't want to be pretentious. And it, pretension is to try for something great and fail. And I feel like 1917 tried for something great and failed, whereas the Rambo movie tries to be <laughs> tries to be trash and succeeds. <laughs> right. I think I get. I, you know what? I think you that's get what I'm saying. What, it was what I feel like with John Wick. The reason why that that series has been critic proof for me is because it knows what it wants to do. And it does that and it and it makes its own rules of like we know yes. that this could never happen. So when we now know that – it never pretends that something like this could ever happen. Exactly. I mean the guy gets gets like sh- – I don't even know. He gets shot off a roof <laughs> at the end of the thing and then he like walks away like he's Michael Myers. And yet that's like, oh yeah, I get that because yeah, well, it's a John Wick movie, right? And it, and it takes place within that world whereas 1917 takes place in our world but does it in this sort of ratcheted up almost surreal manner. I, you know, I, if I was going to like – this film it would be if i decided that it was surreal enough to but then even then when i when i tried to look at the film that way as sort of a, uh an experience that was sort of this boiled down thing i couldn't figure out what he was trying to say i know well here's the thing that gets me right there's a better than odds chance that it's going to win best picture and director yeah at, at, at this weekend at the oscars and I'll just be forever thinking that Saving Private Ryan didn't win Best Picture that year. <laughs> yeah. And that was, to me, I mean, maybe it has its flaws. Maybe some people look at it differently now. But it has a couple things. A, it, to me, there was some emotional devastation in there. Yes. The Tom Hanks performance is amazing. Yep. And it has the best 25 minutes of film that decade. Yes. Um, it's so, you know, and it's still, even though it, it had it has many challengers of like copied a lot of what Spielberg did in that first yeah. 25 minutes, nothing comes close to what he achieved no. there. It, it's probably the best 25 minutes of the guy's career. And that to me was a way more successful movie, different war, but it, you know, th- yeah. th- that was about, the, that was about the war and it was about yes. the toll and whether or not you found the idea cheesy that they go on this mission to save the guy, what it was saying is that what is sacrifice? And if your right. family has already sacrificed three other brothers, it's worth sending five guys who might not make it to save the one. That is actually exactly. a very yeah. powerful message. Well, there's a narrative there, <laughs> you know, and 1917, it, to me, it just didn't have a story. Yeah, well, that was my biggest thing, and it's funny. It's like nominated for best screenplay. I'm like, really? Yeah. So this is it's it is my uh, if I was making a list of my worst films of the year, it would have 1917 on it. Okay, so you're being very harsh, and of course, you always said you didn't like the Mendez. So okay, we, we know. Look, we've spent a lot of time more on 1917 because <laughs> this is the best of nine. This is the best of 2019, not a, not a yeah. worst of, of 1917. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna kick. I'm gonna kick things off. All right. Okay. And here's what we're gonna do is we're gonna talk about some of the movies on our list. We'll each take some turns and just point out a few things. We, we've talked about most of these films, yeah. so we aren't going to rehash too much, but we're going to then, afterwards, we'll reveal our top films and leave out the best of, and then we'll just talk about our best of at the end, okay? Sounds good. All right. So uh, a movie that uh, we didn't talk about at all this year, 
Yeah. Because we didn't see it. It was a film that I caught this weekend. Oh. And that was Ryan Johnson's Knives Out. Oh, yes. I, I do really <laughs> want to see that. It looks like such, it looks like so much fun. Well, okay. So this is why it ended up on my top 10. You know, I mean, again, you and I kind of kept some reserves. There was a couple of yeah. movies that uh, I had in there. And, you know, it, it, it's all subjective. But what was so great about Knives Out, it, it is very clever. This guy knows his whodunits. Inside Out, he knows the way you're supposed to construct these things. He knows the genre so that he can subvert the genre. And he can send it up a little bit. He can take it into new directions. He can dissect it. But he can keep all of of the things that make a whodunit one of his favorite genres. Right. It's not about like, oh my God, I was so surprised. It isn't about that. It's about going through this fun journey and it is so damn entertaining that it's hard to not like this film because it knows when it's manipulating and it's revealing little pieces and stuff. Right. You're watching the appreciation for someone who loves those types of movies and even the subject, the guy who, who you know, is the subject of the murder, or right, uh, right. Christopher Plummer, he is a... Um, who done it writer and okay so it's really just having fun with the genre it's having so much fun and the dialogue is so crisp and everybody's performance in it is so great and you just i mean you've got uh daniel craig who just never looks like he can even crack a smile right. this guy is having the time of his life really hamming it up and but but playing a character that's supposed right. to be a ham it is so much fun that i really was delighted <laughs> when the movie was over so it sounds like one of those movies where you just kind of sit there with a smile on your face through most of it. You do. I just, there wasn't a single moment. I, I remember, I couldn't even tell you how long the movie is because I didn't look at my watch once. Wow. It, beginning to end, it was just, it's like kind of like perfectly constructed. And it reminded, it was like after the Star Wars movie, which, you know, there's lots of debate there, but I did <laughs> right. not really like Last Jedi. This is really where he belongs doing these types of films. You know, he was almost worked. He worked to perfect Knives Out for doing films like The Brother, the Brothers Bloom and Brick. Right. Uh, he likes these little puzzles. And this film is great. Yeah, Looper is a puzzle that doesn't really make a lot of sense, but it is a puzzle. Yes. And, you know, you, you had more <laughs> fun with Looper than I did. I, I, I like Looper. It, yeah, I, I enjoy Looper. I think it's fun. So, uh, you know, I won't really, we won't get into it because you haven't seen it. Yeah. But it did make my uh, top 10 list a really late entry. Um, and okay. now uh, let's, let's hear for one of your picks for the best of 2019. I got to say, I only have nine films because I'm saving a slot for the films I haven't seen yet. Well, you're hoping. So uh, I'm hoping. That, that's we didn't mention this. So uh, here's a couple of films that I didn't get to see that, that may change my top 10 when yeah. I do get to see it. One is uh, Almodovar's Pain and Glory. Yep. Really wanted to see that and didn't. Probably won't make my top ten, but I I will. Who knows see the though? Mr. Yeah. Ro- well, the, see the Mister Rogers movie. The Mister Rogers movie. Yeah, for me, it's Jojo Rabbit, Knives Out, uh, and and yeah, the others he mentioned. You know, I got to see a fair amount, and there's always some. Oh, and I you know I didn't see Bombshell, which I can't imagine that would make my top ten. Yeah. Because I'm, but but you know I'll, I'll I'll see it with an open mind when it's time. Right. Richard Jewell. I mean, these are just some of the movies that got tossed around at the end. Right, but but they're not necessarily. I don't know. I'm talking about the movies that are like getting awards notice that I haven't seen yet. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, we can't see everything, but we've certainly tried to see as many as we could. Okay. So here's one from my top 10 list that we were just talking about. What's that? John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum, 
John Wick. I'm a little surprised at this, and I'll tell you why. Because I seem to be really high on this movie. Yeah, I didn't think you liked it that much, and I it, it was so close to my top ten that even a few weeks ago it was in there, and I almost felt guilty putting it in there. And if I had known you were going to put it in there, maybe I would have you know found a space for it. But it's that close because. It really, I just enjoyed the hell out of it. And I saw it a second time only the last month and yeah. it, it held up so well. Well, yeah. And I, I did, you know, I feel a little guilty putting it in there because it's definitely not, you know, the Irishman or something, right? Well, wasn't, didn't like Roger Ebert always make a place in his top 10 for an action film that did, was a cut above? Yeah. And I think John Wick is definitely the best action film of the last year. It was definitely, yes. Yeah, without question, it is. I mean, I love the the John Wick universe. I think Keanu Reeves has an interesting character. Yeah, this universe is kind of so over the top and weird, but the action in this movie is just fantastic. The editing, the choreography, the amount of, and I feel like I don't see this enough in movies, is how tiring fighting is. Yes. And there's this one bit in this movie that I just love where he has this huge fight with these two guys and basically he wins, but he decides not to kill them out of respect for how good they are at fighting. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the editing and the choreography is amazing, but it also takes place in this world with, with its own set of rules. To me, sort of draws me into the world. I get, and here's here's what it is. Here's what really got this movie on my top 10 list for me, is I felt every punch. <laughs> And <laughs> and so it was really viscerally engaging and I was sucked into it and I was there with it all the way through. And that, yeah, that's why it's on my top 10 list. I feel a little guilty about it because, you know, it's not like I said, it's not a towering cinematic achievement, but. <laughs> Uh, it is one of the best. It's definitely the best action film of 2019. Well, if you show up with a late book at your library, let's hope that John Wick's not the librarian. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. But I, but I appreciate that because I don't think that – Every film has to be, you know, and that, again, that's kind of like where Knives Out came into to, to play yeah. is that I think that there's maybe some more. If I was just putting my critical uh, lens on things, I could have just picked a top 10 that was all about these, you know, stuff. Sure. Oh, it did this and had great themes. But, I, you know, Knives Out was kind of my entertainment. And I think at the end it knocked out um, Under the Silver Lake for me. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was the one that got kind of kicked out. It kept on coming in and out. And, you know, it's not a perfect movie, but it was just, it was the probably the- f You loved it, though. Well, yeah, because it's a film that I started off to hate. And right. I like this. Uh, that was a puzzle film. And I felt It's that absolutely a puzzle film. Yeah. It's a film that you can revisit a bunch of times and try to try to solve things and drive yourself mental. But uh, anyways, the, the next film I want to just mention on our top yeah. 10, uh, well, my top 10, uh, another film is uh, a film that did not get any love from the Academy this year. Uh -huh. And even on second viewing, I didn't enjoy it quite as much as the first viewing. Uh, but I'm still going on my initial reaction in the theater where I just was like, wow. And that is uh, a good good friend of our show's uh, least favorite film of the year, Midsommar. Oh. <laughs> By director Ari Aster. Uh, so Midsommar almost made my top 10 list. Well, you had a slot there. If it's almost, you had, it didn't make your top nine. Maybe it's did, number it 10 right now. It didn't make my top nine, but it, it, it was definitely in the running. You know, I, we talked about it when the film came out, but I have a few little problems with this film. And maybe I'm being nitpicky, but they're enough to keep it from being great for me. 
Well, like I said, when I saw this director's cut, sometimes the director's cut, why it diminishes the movie is because it reveals that the director didn't have the confidence that right. they said, well, look, they think this is better. And you should have the confidence to say, this is your film. And the second, you know, the longer version, while it had some interesting stuff, it wasn't as good as the original yeah. version just for the impact. And it's also a film that I think once you've seen it and you know what's coming, that's part of the, I wouldn't say the fun of the movie, but it right. is. It is. It, the, is, yeah. it is. You know, you really, it, horror is different to, to different people. And, you know, we as a family, the older, the older, the older son <laughs> and wife, we watched uh, as much as we could handle on HBO of Curse of La Llorona. <laughs> Oh, yeah. You know what? It was so bad. And even my son was like, we know where it's going and it's doing, it's not, it's like how many silly jump scares and there was just nothing going on it. And then you see a movie like Midsommar and it's really, to me, there's a, there's a great case to be made that it's an allegory of uh, Trumpism. (laughs) Yeah. Well, here's the thing is that it is a movie that's about stuff. Like you can, you can pull a lot of themes out of there. You can do a lot of analysis. It's got, I mean, really her performance anchors the whole movie for me. Not nominated for best actress. I I know. So, so anyway, so again, that did make my list and now uh, give me one of uh, yours. I'm going to go for the surprise one on my list. That'll surprise you. And I don't even know if you've seen this movie. Okay. Is this the one that you were saying, does it count? Yes. And it turns out it does count. Okay. It had a theatrical release, a small theatrical release in March 2019. Okay. Dragged Across Concrete. Oh, you mother effer. <laughs> yeah, it does count as this year. I didn't, I was, that's that's on my list of like wanting to see, but I don't want to go to extremes to see it. And yeah. I thought you said it was one of the worst movies you saw this year. And now I feel like you're trolling me. Like, because that, it's that other dude who didn't like Midsommar. Uh, no, I'm, I'm not trolling. It's, um, I, you know, I was just going through what I had seen last year and I realized that this movie really got under my skin. You're going to have to live with that decision. I am. I'm going to have to live with it. Especially after I see it. If I see it, uh, you get ready because I could be tearing it down or I might be I might be saying you're right. Here's the thing. I can't really disagree with anyone who tears this movie down. Right. But the reason it worked for me, the movie made me feel sick. Uh, Oh, there's a recommendation. (laughs) One of my favorite films of the year made me feel sick. It made me feel a little queasy. It, It is uncomfortable. Uh, it's unpleasant, It's but it has a third act that is just incredible. And his third act, that's his, that's his, like, that's his shtick. You that's have his to shtick. Get, you have to really get through a lot to get to the third acts, which give you a, a, a sort of visceral pleasure. And there were times where I w- would have given up on this film earlier on. There's one sequence that's about, I don't know, between five and ten minutes that was so powerful or, or it hit me so hard that, that it, that's almost enough to put this on on the list for me that and the third act and so what what i realized yes it made me a little queasy yes there's a lot of things i don't like about the film it's sort of amateurish and stagey in certain ways the cinematography is not great but it stuck with me and it got under my skin and it bothered me (laughs) of course you haven't seen his other movies right I haven't seen his other yeah, movies. So if you had, you might be like, oh, this is just more of the same. I, it's very possible that I would think it's just more of the same. But it did, uh, it, it got under my, it, it affected me. And it's a movie that's going to stay with me. And so I'm putting it on the list. Yeah, I, 
It, definitely not one of the worst. <laughs> it's a complicated choice is what I'm saying. Is, You're a complicated man. Is that I don't think everyone is going to love this movie. I can't recommend it to everyone. But it, Well, that's not what our top tens are about. Yeah. And so this, you know, look, I've got John Wick Chapter 3 and I've got Do Dragged Across Concrete. Yeah. These, uh, you know, I had to make some, uh, I, I wanted to make some, uh, like a less traditional choice on a couple of these. Okay. Well, you know what? Then I'm going to switch gears and give us something that everybody can enjoy. Yes. Unless they don't have a heart. And <laughs> that's another film that the Academy completely ignored. I, I bet. This is on my list, too. The Farewell by director Lulu Wang. Absolutely is on my list. You know, I mean, yeah, going from Drag to Cross Concrete to The Farewell, and it's sort of like, ah, how do you balance that out? Well, I, I don't know. I like a lot of different kinds of movies. Well, that's what's so great. I mean, the top 10 shouldn't be, shouldn't be all one type of film, right? Yeah. And The Farewell, I was thinking about The Farewell yesterday, actually, because we had talked about it, but I never really, I, I don't think we'd given enough appreciation to the grandmother's boyfriend. Yeah, it's her boyfriend, right? <laughs> it's her It's her boyfriend. Maybe they're married. It's hard to tell. But well, this, that's another this... thing about this level of secrets that go on in this whole exactly. family. You don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I was just thinking about that guy, and I, he barely has any dialogue. I don't even know if he has dialogue, but he kind of shuffles around, and he's- a... Well, he was like, wasn't he her husband's best friend? Yes, something like, yes, So he's kind of right. like, you know, maybe he like, you know, so yeah. But but they're kind of, in, uh, he lives with her, and- <laughs> Right. <laughs> but it's just such a great- side character who's really well developed who doesn't like you really get a sense of who this guy is but he's just a minor side character and it just is i think an example of how good this film is at building character yeah i mean to me that again when we look at some of the academy awards that it could have been nominated for and it wasn't yeah. as a disappointment is a uh, now, having seen the top, the nine movies that were selected, I can easily have slotted The Farewell into yeah. one of those slots and taken out, like, say, uh, Little Women or 1917. Yeah. And so there's that. And then the screenplay, adapted screenplay, mm -hmm. I, I would have considered. And it, it wasn't the showiest of performances, but it's anchored in that you're taken on this journey by Aquafina. Yes. And there are some small moments that... I really enjoyed in her performance. And one is when you see her in the piano. Oh, yes. Are you going to cry? No, I was just... <laughs> like, you're like, yes, I know. I love that. <laughs> I know, it's touching. And also, it's when she goes into that hotel for the first time that she has right. to stay in. And it's just, there's a way that she conveys how awkward... And this and foreign, this entire situation is into her that I, I really enjoyed. And I like movies where the performance isn't about big showy things, right. it's about very quiet things. Well, it's a quiet and it's an internal performance, but she also does a huge amount with body language in this movie, I feel like. She's not a trained actress. No, no, no. And, she's and not. so I think she's showing a lot of promise here in this movie. I, I look forward to seeing more stuff from her. Yeah, it's a great movie. And and like you said originally, it's this is a movie that I can recommend recommend to everyone and i think everyone will like it i think you you, you kind of have to uh you know if you have a heart you'll like this movie yes unlike unlike dragged across concrete yeah well now i can't wait to hear what you're what is your next <laughs> film that you're going to throw at me i'm sure it'll be enlightening and, and light-hearted <laughs> oh you want me to go for an enlightening and light -hearted? i don't know what do you okay here, here's one that's i'm guessing might be on your list or might have just made it okay uncut gems you would be correct. It's funny. I asked you for a list and you did not give me that one. I was going to talk about it. So that's fine because it's on my list. And Uncut Gems, another one 
I didn't give you the full list. I gave no, you five. No, I read that right. Those are the five you were supposed to talk about. Oh, and then I was gonna, okay. Yes, I didn't want you to. I didn't want a whole list. I want to be surprised. But I was going to okay. pick movies that weren't on your list, and I didn't okay, want well, the whole list. I was so you kick it off with Uncut Gems. No, 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 no. It's your turn. So okay. let's. It, we, we both have it on our list. So I think it's a good one to talk about because it also did not receive any love from the Academy, and is also an A twenty four film. Yes, they they really do focus on quality, but they don't focus enough on their Oscar campaigns. Though, though I got a feeling that look, I, I, as you were the first to admit. Not everything we like, uh, and I recognize, I almost wish sometimes I didn't have that critical eye Yeah, because I would like to just like say, oh, 1917 was amazing. Right. It's all one <laughs> shot and the guy is so cool. You know, like I wish I could be that guy, but I can't. <laughs> and I prefer my films to be a little bit more on the uncut gem style, like where yeah. I, I haven't quite, I have to say, I, don't, I haven't seen a movie like this before. I haven't seen a movie like this. I don't think everyone's going to enjoy it. I have a friend who really hated it because essentially, uh, I mean, he had a much more complex argument, but it basically came down to not liking the characters and not having any empathy for them. And I love the characters. <laughs> What's wrong with me? And it's just because, I mean, look, I don't want to be like best friends with those characters, but I mean, you know, like the, there's charisma and stuff. And yeah. like, you know, I mean, Adam Sandler was was just so awesome. I love that character, even right. though I don't I, love him as a person, the character. Ex- you know? That's how I feel. Um, I guess other, uh, other com- uh, comment he had was maybe that it was uh, a little too one note. Really? That's insane. Yeah. I, if see- ever I could see the, the wheels turning in a character and how like manic yes. they are and watching them perform at all costs like you know that's I think what it is is that sometimes it's so real that it, it, it freaks people out it's such because yeah. they're probably like yeah I kind of know someone like that well that's how I, and you know I I'm not like that at all but I think we can all empathize with making bad decisions at some point you're under pressure you make a bad decision uh you tell a lie you're stuck deeper in it you know that kind of stuff like i don't know everyone has had some experience like that right and yet if you're saying well i can't relate to this character at all well that's why we go to the movies so we can see characters that are nothing (laughs) like us like i i understand that characters like this exist and for like two hours we're taken on a ride where we're in that experience and it's uncomfortable right (laughs) It, it is it's horribly uncomfortable it's not but you're rooting for him you're, you're rooting, rooting for him, for him. F- fun is kind of the wrong word for this movie but it is a ride and i was i i think i saw it before you and i told you you know you, <laughs> you were very good about really not i had no idea whether you liked it or not yeah from, I didn't from want your to tell initial you. review i just knew i was seeing it no matter what you thought <laughs> yeah and i think i told you like be prepared it's anxiety provoking <laughs> and and I mean that in a good way. It's like you're on the edge of your seat in this movie and it's not really a suspense type or horror type movie, but you're on the edge of your seat. You're worried. It, you're tense. It, the, the, I found the movie really viscerally engaging. I was sucked into it. I loved his performance. I think he really should have been nominated. Oh, yeah. But everyone in this movie is good. And the other thing I think... This is when I saw the, this guy I'm talking about who didn't like it. I think he missed one major important part of this movie, which is the humor. Yeah. Oh, it's funny. Well, I mean, if you don't find those kind of movies funny, I, I was la- laughing. <laughs> I, I was la- I laughed out loud throughout the movie. And some of that is it's sort of dark comedy. This guy's falling apart. Things are getting worse for him. And it's kind of funny that they're getting worse for him. At the same time, it's tragic, right? But, but I think if you see this movie without 
uh, seeing any humor in it, it's gonna, it could be kind of bleak. But it just shows you everybody going in has different experiences with yeah. films. And like I said, you and I, we must be on similar wavelengths because we don't at least I feel we, we used to disagree a lot, but I don't think we disagree as much anymore in movies. I was really hoping we would disagree on 1917, but. I was too, because then I'd be like, all right, I got to go see it a second time. Because like this, this Sasha Stone that I you've mentioned earlier, she was yeah. like, I was crying at the end. It took me my third viewing. I'm like, you got your third viewing and then now you're crying at the end of this? What? No, 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 no. Like, crying you're, at, you're, you're crying forced- at the. At the corny ending yeah, that I hate. she's forcing herself to get emotionally involved in a movie because it took three times because it really wasn't working and she felt she had to have a narrative. <laughs> so anyways, I'm not here to really talk about other people and their shows. Um, we're going to move on because we're only going to yeah. maybe do, do uh, like one more each. My my next film that I'm going to mention, uh, and since you stole one of mine, I'm going to steal yeah. one of yours, is uh, Joker by director uh, Todd yes. Phillips. Um, and, and the reason why I want to mention it is that uh, when we did our episode, I, I don't feel like I really got to talk about it the way I wanted to talk about right. it. And part of that was my voice was just so uh, distorted on the end product. But it, I keep coming back to this because I've read in a lot of the hate that came out. I mean, there yeah. are people that just wanted to crap all over Joker because oh, yeah. it got nominated for all these awards and it's yeah. ridiculous. But some of the things they said in their comments and why they didn't like it told me everything I needed to know how fundamentally they misunderstood what was going right. on in this movie. There are a lot of uh, people that will break it down and say, this was nothing but a Scorsese copy and right. they just copied Taxi Driver and uh, King of Comedy. And when I hear that, I think, what a simplistic assessment. Yeah. And how do you think that director Todd Phillips was just going to be paying homage to the point where he would, you know, lift almost lines from those movies right. and scenes that don't you think maybe there's something else going on? And these people also seem to really, they lose sight of the fact of how much of an unreliable narrator that Joaquin Phoenix's character is to the point that I don't think they really understand that a lot of what they're seeing, no matter what level that you believe right. that the film is real or not, there's a chunk of this film that is clearly being said didn't happen. Oh, yeah. It comes right out and says Yeah, but I don't a think that there's, a, there's a lot of people don't, that miss that. <laughs> what? Yes. There's people that don't really seem to. They think it's a very linear movie and that it's a an origin story of the Joker and a different way to tell the origin story story of Batman and yeah I'm huh. I'm offer and I and I and I mentioned this before and again yeah. I think you'd sort of like, you know, there was a lot going on in that, in that episode of our podcast, yeah. but I think you were dismissed of it only because maybe A, you hadn't come around to that same thought or B, I think you just thought, well, it's obvious or, you know, and people were, right. but people don't seem to understand. My theory is that the entire movie um, maybe there are elements that are real, but it's all in this guy's head. And I propose that whatever year this really takes place in, right. that it is a fantasy by a guy where all the experiences in his life, whatever it built up to, he created a narrative that was indicative of characters that he loved, comics right. yeah. and movies like King of Comedy and Taxi Driver. These are movies that he identified with. Right. And so this story that he's weaving in his head with even, you know, being a stand-up comic and having the sort of Jerry Langford type thing. Right, right. Like, that was not just a homage. That was clearly part of whatever in his brain narrative from the story that he wanted to tell of his life. And it's at that very end moment. 
the very end. Yeah, we're yeah. Running he, down the hallway. Yes. That is the moment he actually becomes what he's been telling people he's going to become in the entire story right. and none of that other stuff. And that I don't actually think there is necessarily a Batman. I do think that at the end, there's this guy who thinks he's a joker and right. he runs off. And I that's what I think, the brilliance of Todd Phillips, what he does. And the end where it actually comes up with the credits of the end, which is the same old- the Wizard night, of Oz. Wizard of Oz. There's so many winks and nods. And there's a- Yeah. Even the, the character says, you just don't get it. And I really do believe <laughs> that Todd Phillips and I think the Bradley Cooper's producing partner, yeah. I think they pulled one over on the studios because even though they got it and knew what they were going to do, I bet you- that there's some goofy studio head that greenlit <laughs> didn't get it. That thought it was just going to be some really cool take on the Joker. And we're going to absolutely make cool money, and that they really didn't understand what what Phillips and Cooper, because I've heard he was heavily involved. Okay, were up to, and that's why I love it because obviously it resonated with tons of people. It made a billion dollars. It's a radar movie. And it does not let people out easy. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. It's it's an uncomfortable movie. It brings up all sorts of uh, interesting political questions, societal questions, uh, questions of race and class and all these. Uh, so it's got a lot going on in it. Uh, I think I have read very similar theories to what you're putting forward. I have not read them. Oh, you haven't? Okay. I haven't, but... Uh, yeah, I did some reading on this after we talked, and there are, one person sort of agrees with your theory, but thinks that it pissed them off because they thought that Phillips was trying to, you know, have his cake and eat it too, kind of thing, trying to have it both ways. It is made up, and it's not made up, and... I don't think so. Yeah, so that that was one criticism, is that maybe that it's, it's too ambiguous. Uh, I, I tend to agree with your theory. But I, I like think, ambiguity. And I think my resistance to your theory initially was uh, that your theory fits in perfectly with my theory, which is that it's a picture of mental health and, and it's an examination of his mental health. And therefore, your theory would work, but it would also work. It, it could work with other theories that it's uh, sort of bringing up all these issues. Yes, it can all be in his head. Yes, it could be that parts of it are real but it, whether it's real or not i feel like it's getting into this issue of well it's asking those questions of what's real or not and so it's sort of trying to put you in his shoes a little bit well you said this before and you've said it on other uh films we've talked about and it is true that this movie is like a rorschach test yes and everybody goes in and they're going to get what they want out of it but then even when you say that right if a film can actually do that that's pretty cool it's cool. And even the people that like despise it and hate it, I like it. I like a movie that's so polarizing. And it says, Absolutely. it says that only a good director can take a film and create such a reaction, such debate, yeah. such discussion. And that's why it's a worthy movie for 2019. I totally agree. All right. Give me one more and then we will reveal our lists. Okay. One more will be uh, The Lighthouse. And we won't spend much time on it. We just talked about it. <laughs> we just talked about but, it. But, uh, you know, you uh, you didn't know what you were going to get, and you were very surprised. <laughs> and I was very surprised. And, again, this movie is stuck with me. There are images from it that I feel like are burned into my head. <laughs> and so part of it for me is, is the visuals of this movie are just incredible. But the performances are, too. It just... The, 
and again, this is one of those movies that I can't really recommend to everyone. It's uncomfortable. It's not necessarily a pleasant experience. Totally different than Dragged Across Concrete, but, you know, difficult to watch for a lot of people, I think. Uh, but those of us who tune into The Lighthouse, uh, if you can get on its wavelength, it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, I think it's essential viewing. Yes, it is essential viewing. If you like movies and you like challenges, absolutely uh, go and rent it, stream it, whatever you got to do, check yeah. it out. Definitely, you know, I, I struggled with that film as far as where it would sit. Does it does it make my top 10? I right. actually think that you helped make a case for it, for me to like it more than I thought. Oh, good. Okay. Uh, but now, now as time runs very short, uh, we will talk about our top 10s, but we're each going to leave off our, our favorite film of the year and we'll, we'll right. reveal that. So um, I will go first. We're going to do it mm-hmm. really quickly. Uh, my number 10, number 10 slot is Knives Out by Ryan okay. Johnson. Number nine, The Lighthouse. Okay, nice. Yes, it did make it. It was not in there, but after our after we really talked about it and I thought about it, I, I thought, you know what, this is it's it's definitely a, a movie that's really a standout for the year. And and do do you have similar experience where it's kind of stuck with you after watching it? Oh yeah, it definitely yeah. did. Um, and, and again, now and, and even more importantly, I want to see it a second time. Oh, I definitely want to see it a second time. So number eight, Midsummer. Okay. Uh, number seven, Joker. By uh, nice. Godfellas. Number six was The Farewell by Lu okay. Wang. Number five, one of your favorites of the year, Marriage Story. <laughs> <laughs> Director Noah Baumbach. Yeah, you'll notice that is not on my top I, ten list. I didn't list. notice you'd have to reveal it. Yeah. Um, I, I can say that, you know, haven't thought about it as much since then. And again, it's not a movie I want to revisit a bunch of times, but I was very impressed by the emotional experience that I got of yeah. the movie and the two performances. Or actually yeah. all the performances in the film. Uh, number four. Safety Brothers, Uncut Gems. Yes, okay. Definitely one of my favorite films of the year, and it's a movie that I'm just gonna, I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna see a second time. Uh, number three, and I want to, I want to do want to say this that about my top three. They're very close. Yeah, mine are too. And and it's really, you know, I can under, I can make a case for any of them being on on my on my top three. But number three, uh, Bong Joon Ho's Parasite. Mm-hmm. It's a fantastic movie, and to me, this looks. If, if anything is going to knock 1917 out for Best Picture yeah. Oscar, it may be this. A lot of people like it, and I will not be sad if it makes it. I would be very happy if it does. Yeah. Uh, number two, The Master, Martin Scorsese, and The Irishman. Mm-hmm. One of uh, a movie that I saw in the theater. One of the very few people that saw it, and I'm a little jealous of that. Yeah, I, I didn't know what to really make of it. I understood, you know, walking away. If I didn't have anybody to talk about it, maybe I would have been like, yeah, it's just not as good as I, I see. But it was a movie that I just couldn't stop talking about in my yeah. brain. I had to see it a second time and really appreciated so much. And I also think that the last third of the movie is a masterpiece. Absolutely. You know, anybody can make a case for anything. I love how people will watch and binge eight episodes of hour-long television but <laughs> right. complain that the Irishman at three hours and 26 minutes is too long. It is too long. <laughs> um, and then, uh, you know, my number one film will wait a second after you reveal, I guess, your top eight before you get to your ninth. I know what your number one film is. Well, I think you can figure it out, but we're going to talk about that in a second. So let me hear what your top ten is. Okay, so number nine, Dragged Across Concrete. (laughs) 
It might go to number 10. I'm saving a little space there for Knives Out or Jojo Rabbit, maybe. I point out that Jojo Rabbit did not make my top 10. I see that, yeah. I enjoyed the movie, um, and we'll talk about it when you've seen it, but it, I had to be honest and said, was it the 10 best films? No, but I have a lot less problem with it being an Oscar nominee than I have of Little Women being an Oscar nominee. Okay. All right, so- uh, uh, n- Number eight, Joker. Okay. Seven, The Farewell. Okay. Six, Uncut Gems. Great. Five, John Wick. That high. That's amazing. Yep. Yep. I, 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 yes, that high. Uh, four, the, the Lighthouse. Wow. You like that more than Uncut Gems? I, you know. It is your kind of movie, for sure. Yes. And I could, sh- you know, I, I, I could shuffle these around a little bit. This is, there are. Oh, well, that's right. Oh, that's right. True. In fairness, I do make a true top 10. You, you don't like to put numbers on your I don't place. like to really rank them exactly. So okay. the Lighthouse versus Uncut Gems, I don't know. You know, yeah, that's I a understand. tough call. Okay. Number three is what I suspect is your number one. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Well, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, number two, Irishman. I think it's pretty obvious at this point. Why don't you reveal your number ones? My number one is Parasite. Parasite. So you're in the clique. You're in the cult. Yeah. And, you know, (laughs) I I, I, want to say this about Parasite is I I understand it's super popular, that everybody loves it. But you understand why? Because it's a unique movie. I understand why. But when I watch this and every now and then this feeling happens to me where I'll watch a movie and I feel like I've discovered it. Right, right. Like I'm the one person who's seen this movie, and I, and I and I have this like personal connection to it because I saw this movie before a lot of the hype. It is true, you did, and and so I felt like personally connected to this movie in some way. And and uh, early adopter, you were an early. I was adopter. early adopter, and I'm not saying like, oh, I was in on it before everyone else, but that I had this feeling towards the movie that was sort of this personal connection. And I still feel that. I, I, I've seen it twice now. Oh, I didn't know you saw it a second time. Yeah, I saw it a second time. And I actually, I, I did not like it any less. In fact, I may have liked it a little bit more the That's second That's always time. a good test too, right? When, yeah. you, when a great movie, you like even more the second time. And it's a movie that I can't wait to see a second time. I kind of want to see this black and white version that he's got kicking around now. Oh, I hadn't even heard of that. Oh, no. His big dream was that he envisioned that it could be a cool black and white film. And so oh. there are prints now. And of course, we lived in a cool market. You could see the black and white version. Version, but I'm hoping that maybe there'll be a release of it, like, you know, in home video or something, right. just so I can see it. Now, I, I think it's a great color film. It is. But I'm also intrigued about the black and white. But I wouldn't yeah. want to see it for the first time in black and white. I, I don't mind seeing a second time in black and white. But. Right. So great. Well, I, you know, you called it. My number one film, it really kind of surprised me, is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I Yeah, I'm surprised by that, too, because you, uh, the first time you saw it, you were a little iffy. I was. I, was, I probably liked it. It seemed like I liked it the least amount between you and the millennial. Yes, I think that's true. Yeah. That was even what I was struggling as we talked about it was more than any film this year and in a long time, this film from the second it left. And this is, I think, what Quentin Tarantino does so amazingly. He creates yeah. images and scenes and moments that are so put together with the right. Like, he understands, like, in a way that I'd say most filmmakers do not of 
this camera and this angle and this close and this is how you know like he understands right. how a film is supposed to flow together exactly um even if sometimes i, I think somebody i read recently had said that uh, he hasn't been the same since his editor sally menke passed away and that she may have been able to restrain him and, and kind of cut stuff that oh interesting and, and i think that maybe she's right because if you noticed uh this didn't get an editing nomination which i think is very disappointing right. but i think there's a bias that people have over the way his films can sometimes run a bit long, right? Uh, but I couldn't stop. I really, I, I couldn't stop thinking about this movie until I could see it a second time. I right. got obsessed with having to see this a second time, and it was on that second viewing, seeing it in seventy millimeter, that even though the the finale of the movie didn't work as well for me because it's really. That said, we we have to be fair. The finale of the movie was ruined by Bill from from Queens. <laughs> well, yeah, I was a little distracted. The you were second a little time distracted, around. but I also and, think that that's like we're just like with uh, Midsummer. When you don't know anything about it and you see it and you experience Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the last part is probably the most exciting. And then when yeah. you see it, it's the rest of the movie that's so great. And it's just it's pure cinema. That movie, uh, we've talked about that term, pure cinema. Yep. And, you know, you would thought it was like one of his best films. Yeah, I still think that. I yeah. still think that Pulp Fiction is his best, but this really has moved up to like his number two for me. Yeah. And so I just really loved it. And, uh, you know, it's not going to win all these Oscars. Uh, and, I, you know, and I'm resigned on that. I just, I hate to think that 1917 will be the best picture of the year oh when there are films so, like Parasite, The Irishman, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood out there. So we have the same top three. Yeah, just in different orders. Except for The Irishman's number two in both of ours. Yeah, interesting. Okay, so yeah, we have the same top three. There you go. Yeah, and like I said, they're all very close. I mean, the, the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood just kind of moves away. But like I said, if Parasite were to win best picture, which yeah. Irishman's not, a lot of people don't like it. Um, from what I've read, and you know, if, if people really people, people don't like it, well, in the academy, oh. they think it's too long, or it's just not. You know, I mean, if that's look, at, people are entitled to their opinions, right? No, they're not. Okay, well, they should listen <laughs> to us, but like, not when it comes. To I it. think Parasite has a chance to go all the way. If it did, that'd be great. However, you should be warned. Because it's your favorite film of the year, maybe you don't want it to win Best Picture because for some reason, the way that, when a movie wins Best Picture of the Academy, it usually diminishes the quality of that film just by the virtue of the fact that it won. <laughs> yeah, I think I kind of don't want it to win. And that's <laughs> what I was saying about uh, the personal connection. Right. Is I kind of don't want anybody right, else to like this. Because it means it was embraced by everybody. Yeah, I don't want that. I, I, <laughs> I want God it to no. feel. I want to feel like I'm the only one who has seen this movie. <laughs> well, we are <laughs> recommending it. If you haven't seen it, don't don't let the subtitles scare you. You're, it's really a delight of of uh, treasures, and it it is about it's a it's a great story. But there's also yeah. a lot going on uh, behind the scenes and class struggles. And, yes, uh, I think it's it, I think it's just a fantastic movie. So you know, again, if it wins Best Picture, I'll be very excited. Oh yeah, I would. Be too. I'd be happy with anything but 1917 winning Best Picture. Well, I, Little Women. I really I just don't feel like I had Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it, so I can't comment. But 1917 is my least favorite film of the year. But I would say 
and I've seen a lot worse films than you have uh, this year. And hey, uh, I saw that Rambo movie, but well, like I, I saw Men in Black International, and I'll never be the same. See, again. that's the kind. That's no, the kind it of... didn't. It was so bad. You watch that movie, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. That movie is terrible. And then there was that awful Spider-Man Welcome Home, or Go Far Away from Yeah, home. I didn't see that. That movie actually gave me a migraine. <laughs> <laughs> there was that. Um, there was that awful uh, Lion King movie, which just yep. oh, I mean, I saw some of these. Like real turkeys. Yeah, and, and there's a difference between like, like I was saying before, like Rambo is going for trash, uh, but some some of these other movies, like The Lion King, is going for something pretty good. Yeah, it was not. And you know what? The kids will tell you because the two kids that I took they hated it. Yeah, <laughs> my my son and his and his and his cousin. <laughs> Um, all right. Anyway, so hey, look, gang. There's there's our top tens. Um, maybe there's some movies you haven't seen that you want to see and now when they when they're available. You'll go and check them out. And hopefully the next time we talk to y'all, we will be back with our top ten of the decade. Yeah. Right now I have seventeen films on that list. I'm yeah, trying. You're to... gonna have to call it down to ten. <laughs> That's hard. I mean, believe me, it's not that I didn't like. I just I'm picking the top ten, and I will tell you I know. that they aren't all movies that were my number one pick that year i over time have changed my opinions yeah there's a, there's a few for me too that have um and then there's one film <laughs> maybe i should just reveal it now no this is a different okay. that's a different show we don't have time okay i'll just say there's one film on my list that nobody has seen i don't know anyone oh who's I, seen I think it. i know what you're talking about and i have been looking for it but i haven't been able to find it okay all right well anyways those out there in movie land enjoy uh and go see some stuff see some of this stuff and yeah. send us your feedback uh jim and teal at gmail.com is that what it is i don't know i'll, I'll definitely take some uh 1917 hate mail <laughs> <laughs> all right uh g- good night goodbye to do to all the haters and the lovers and all in between good night and good luck goodbye